Praise God, you guys. You know, uh, I just realized sometimes I say, I use the word trust a lot. I use the word trust a lot as a synonym for faith. And I believe a lot of times that word that's translated faith, pistis, a lot of times it means faithfulness and not just simply belief, but it's sometimes trans, it's often means just simply belief or trust or faith. Uh, but oftentimes it's speaking of trust, meaning leaning into. And, and the reason I use the word trust, somebody had asked me a while back, why I use trust a lot in, instead of faith. And I use both faith and trust often. But I said because a lot of times the way it's, the word faith is understood today, the English word faith, is a lot different than the way it was understood in the first century when it had more of a, the understanding was more trust, you see. Um, because today, the faith, when you, somebody talks about faith, a lot of people think you mean something that you're just, you know, have faith in something that you're not sure if it's true or not, you're just going to believe it, Right? That's how a lot of the atheists project the word faith. But we believe that uh, the Scripture's emphasis is on a trusting faith, a faith that leans and rests upon Jesus uh, for eternal salvation. Amen? It's based on evidence. The Bible talks about how faith is the evidence of things not seen. It's not this willy-nilly, I hope it's true. It's, hey, guess what? We have evidence. Um, you have enough trust to sit down on your chair because you look at the sturdiness of these chairs and uh, unless there's like one of these chairs has just got a really bad malfunction, it should hold you up, amen? Well, we put our trust in Jesus because he's sturdier than any chair, amen? He made the universe. Prophecies pre prophesied his coming. So we lean into him. We actually, he's not, somebody say, well, yeah, it's a crutch. Christianity is a crutch. No, it's not a crutch, man. It's my gurney, man. It's my wheelchair. It's more than a crutch, amen? We need more than a crutch. We need one that will save us from hell and that's Jesus, Amen. Now, as we go to 1 Timothy chapter 3, we've been working our way through 1 Timothy. And I've slowed down again, as you know, in chapter 3, the first few verses. We've taken a while, and that's because I'm really concerned and, and, and you know, prayerful about and uh, excited about your spiritual growth, our spiritual growth as believers. And in 1 Timothy 3, he talks about the marks of a Christian leader, the marks of a Christian man. And that's why I've slowed down so much here is because I'm like, wow, I want us to meditate upon these characteristics that are the marks of a, a godly person, a, a, a person aspiring for leadership. And I've already shared with you a number of times as we've gone through this, just to remind you that these words, these descriptions here are what God calls every Christian man to be, at least to the degree, everything that's, you're called, that's called there when it talks about those who are candidates to become overseers, candidates to become elders. They're ba it's basically describing a very mature Christian man of God, which is what we're all called to be as men of God and women of God should have the same attributes that we're talking about. Uh, not as far as elders, because we're told that uh, you know, women have callings that men are not called to. Uh, it's, it's sinful for a man to put on dress dresses like a woman and to want to have a baby like a woman and so forth. Those are called unnatural affections in the Bible. And it's wrong for a, man, a woman to want to be a pastor. We read that in 1 Timothy uh, chapter 2. And then in chapter 3, it says a, a, a man who seeks this, but we, it seeks a good thing, seeks to be an overseer, seeks a good thing. But so many of these attributes that are called to be a godly man go over to what a, a what godly woman is called to as well. The only thing on here that a godly man may not uh, have is perhaps the, the, the ability to teach. Uh, although I believe all godly men should seek to teach to one degree or another, at least by way of example. And I believe they should be sharing the word with other people and edifying and encouraging other believers. So I believe, I believe in teaching is something that a godly man should be doing. And also women are supposed to love their husbands in Titus. They're supposed to, the older women are to teach the younger women. Amen. We see younger women teaching children. We see Priscilla and Aquila, a husband and wife, together teaching Apollos as a couple, right? So I believe women can encourage men in the word, but they're just not called to the pastoral role. However, what we're looking at here in 1 Timothy 3 is something that we're all, that, that is designated specifically what Paul is saying, if you're looking for an elder, this is what you ought to find. This is what you ought to be looking for. But these are the attributes that should stretch all of us to be more godly because for the most part, He's describing a godly person, amen, a mature man of God. But you'll see the attributes basically spill over to all of us to one degree or another. And then we're in verse 3, not addicted to wine. 
I'm not going to have, I was tempted, but I'm not going to have a part three on that. I've actually got a message I've been working on, which is like a part three on that, but I'll hold off for a little bit because this is one of the biggest problems in the church. I'm not saying it bless, in blessed hope, thank God by your grace, Lord Jesus, but uh, not that it hasn't been a problem for some, but by the grace of God, God gives victory. But the, the problem for the church as a whole, a lot of souls are trapped by alcohol addiction, and it is really heartbreaking indeed. But we've already given two messages on that, and the next message I do on that will be sometime in the future, Lord willing, on a Sunday, which will be, for the most part, different material than I've already shared with you, different scriptures and what have you. But verse 3 says, not addicted to wine or pugnacious. And I'm going to get through the rest of verse 3, or we will be in Timothy for years. I'm not going to do that to you. Uh, or pugnacious, not to be a p- addicted wine, or pugnacious, but gentle, peaceable, free from the love of money. I want to cover all of those things in this message. And it's interesting when he says not pugnacious, the NIV translates that violent, okay? The, the Greek word is plaktone, and plaktone refers to a smiter, a brawler. Uh, Strong defines it this way, striker, contentious person, brawler from uh, pleso, a smiter, pug- i.e. pugnacious, literally a giver, literally it's a giver of blows. So you don't want to bring an elder on, you know, who's like, man, this is a good elder, he really knows the Bible well, and you put him in his first counseling session, and all of a sudden you start hearing him screaming and yelling, and you look in and he's beating the guy to a pulp because he's aggravated because the guy mistreated his wife or something. You're like, no, he's not going to make a good elder. Might make him a good boxer, right? But uh, he needs to make sure he's right with Jesus, amen? So you don't want a, a, a brawler, you know? And a lot of us came out of that lifestyle as Christians, brawling and stuff. When I, I was a, what's interesting is I think it's interesting that a drunkard or one who's addicted to wine is put right next to a brawler, one who's pugnacious, one who is a striker, because those two go together. And I know before I was a Christian, Jim, I'm seeing you shake your head upside up and down, big Jim over there. He was a mean drunk, you know. Uh, I know a lot of my fights I got into as a youngster before I came to Christ, I was drunk, okay. They go together. Because drunkenness, that's why the Bible says, be sober, be vigilant. If your adversary devil walks about as we're in line seeking someone to devour. When the Bible says, don't be drunk with wine, which leads to dissipation, drunkenness leads to sin. And I've shared the statistics with you before that so many crimes, the majority of many crimes are committed while people are drunk. It's not an accident, guys. So it's interesting that these words are coupled together. Christians are not called to be violent. Uh, you know, uh, I read a story some time ago about a guy that was trying to evangelize, and then the guy said, you prove me, show me one verse that proves the Bible is true. I, you, can't even, you can't even prove one verse the Bible is true. And the guy grabbed his nose, man, and just twisted it, because the blood vessels in your nose are kind of just right there, and I was, blood started coming profusely. He's like, what are you doing? And he shared the scripture in Proverbs 30, 33, about how, uh, just as the ringing of the nose brings forth blood. He goes, look, that's prove that right there. Well, that's probably not the way we want to prove the Bible to be true. Okay, As funny as that story is, uh, I don't know if that's a true story or not. I read it as a guy, was, his professor was arrogant and said, you can't show me one Bible verse that's true. And the kid went up there and rang his nose and so forth. And sometimes you read these Christian stories and you wonder if they're made up, you know. So when I think they may be made up, I'd say, I think that might be made up. <laughs> but it's a good illustration of what not to do, okay? But that's not meant to go around twisting people's noses and say, look, God's word is true, you know? Uh, however, sometimes, because it's actually a bad example, a TMZ headline some time ago, fight breaks out at church during pastor's sermon day after Christmas. Christmas is about peace on earth, but not necessarily peace in church because two dudes showed a pastor mid-sermon. Their hands were up to date. It went down at the Olivet Baptist Church in Chattanooga, Tennessee, Sunday, when suddenly one guy comes up to another sitting in the front row and starts swinging. The guy who was sitting instantly fully engages, and the two go off screen as they continue punching each other. Bishop Keith Adams, or Kevin Adams, tries in vain to stop the fight, saying, Stop it, Marcus! Marcus, come on! It's unclear how long the fight went on, because someone pulled the plug on the church's live stream. Good idea. 
the bishop said afterward that the man in the white t-shirt had just gotten out of rehab and beelined it for the youth pastor who was sitting in the front row. The bishop insinuates that the man uh, may have relapsed because he says the guy didn't know where he was and, the, and probably, maybe, who knows, maybe alcohol again, I don't know or some other drug perhaps. The bishop says they were able to calm the man down and he broke down in tears. The bishop says the man said he was going back to rehab and the church is fully supporting him. So that's not how to, as believers, were to get together. That's not the example that we're supposed to leave. In the gospel of Matthew chapter 5, verses 38 and 39, we read, you have heard the law, Jesus says, that the punishment must fit, match the injury, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say, do not resist an evil person. If someone slaps you on the right cheek, offer the other cheek also. Now, obviously, this is the case of if somebody's coming at you and trying to wail on you and, and just destroy you and kill you, breaks in your home, starts to try to destroy you and then tries to kill your wife and your kids and your dog, that's not the same as what Jesus is talking about here, Okay. Someone comes up, they, was, they would insult. A lot of times, there was, that's how they'd insult you. They'd slap you on one side of the cheek. And that could cause a brawl. Slap and return. Uh, so uh, Jesus is saying, if someone personally is attacking you, even if to the point of slapping your face, don't, don't resist. You know? Don't try to destroy them back. You know? However, if someone tries to break in your home and destroy your family or what have you, Jesus says the wise man of the house would what? lock up his home, would try to keep the guy out, amen? And even a, even a dog, your dog is smart enough to know that he should protect the family. So uh, I think it's interesting, too, in the book of Exodus, it talks about if somebody breaks into your home and you defend your home and the guy's killed while you defend the home, uh, you're not guilty of murder. However, if you hunt that man down and you kill him in the streets, then you're guilty because you're not protecting your home at that point. And that's when it's supposed to go to the law. So what happens is some people will take one scripture and they'll say, oh, there, that means if somebody slaps me on the cheek, I could shoot him. No. Or that one means if someone slaps me on the cheek and then they pursue, then they start to kill my family and stuff, I just let them do it. No. Okay. You have to put all the scriptures together on any given subject. Amen. So I think it's, it's love. The Bible says if you don't love your, we're supposed to love our wives, right? And lay our lives down for our wives as Christ did for the church. Amen. And letting somebody rape or kill your wife is not loving them because the scriptures are very clear. If you don't protect your own family or provide for your own family, it says you're worse than an unbeliever, okay? However, we're going to go through personal attacks. We're going to feel spiritually stabbed in the back. We may get insulted. You might get slapped in the face. You might get spit at. We're not supposed to spit back. We're not supposed to slap back. We're supposed to love people, amen? And uh, it's going to take a lot to do that, but... As Christians, we want to seek to be on our best behavior. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, verse 44 and 45, But I say to you, love your enemies, bless them that curse you, do good to them that hate you, and pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you, that you may be the children of your Father which is in heaven. For he makes his Son to rise on the evil and on the good, and he sends rain on the just and on the unjust. Amen. And that's a beautiful, beautiful truth. Now, it's interesting because I read about another story. <laughs> you know, I hope this one is true. <laughs> you know, so many stories out there. But it was about a man who, you know, had shared at his church, testified uh, and preached. But he also worked at a grocery store. But he had preached about how we need to turn the other cheek. And then the very thing that he preached on happened to him. He got slapped, you know, and, uh, or hit on the side of the face. But it was just one shot. And then he thought he was tempted to hit back. But he thought about what he just preached. And he thought about what the word of the Lord said. And he resisted. And I read in that story that three different people that worked with him came to Christ that very day by seeing his testimony. Now, if that story is true, what if he would have hit that guy back and kicked him between the legs and spit on him? How do you think it would have, what kind of response do you think you would have had with the non-believers at the, at the grocery store? Probably not the same, amen? It's a, it's a powerful thing to show, you know, uh, we're called to be meek. Jesus said the meek will inherit the earth. The word meek does not mean weak, okay? Meekness is restrained, strength restrained under, under a bridle, under, under, under governance. It's 
Jesus is the most powerful being that ever exists. He created the universe. All authority in heaven and earth is given unto me, said Jesus. Amen. Now, he's the son of man. He has the right to be violent when he deems it right. And he'll come with power and glory at the second coming and make things right. Amen. We don't have the right to go into a temple and overturn tables, right? But he did, okay? But at the same time, he was spit upon. He all, all kinds of wicked things happened to him, and he didn't retaliate because he was patient. And that word meek that Jesus used in the Sermon on the Mount, that blessed are the meek for they shall inherit the earth, is used of a horse, a powerful stallion that's got an incredible amount of power, but that power is subdued and used correctly under a bridle. Amen? And we can have, you're not a strong person because you just say whatever comes to your mind and you have no filter, right? And, and, and you just say whatever comes to your mind. You have a colorful or bad language, let's call it what it is, evil language, and, and you rip people up. That's not strength. Oh, look how strong I am, man. I have all kinds of cuss, and I'm just so cool, man. I just speak my mind, and I just say all kinds of horrible things about people. That's not strength. That's weakness. The Bible says no man yet has contained the whole entire tongue. And the Bible says that your religion, your spiritual Faith is vain if you claim to be a Christian, but you do not bridle your tongue. It says your religion is vain. Amen. So uh, we have to, no man, well, Joe, you said no man can tame the tongue. I know that's why we need the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. That's why we need to rely on the power of the Holy Spirit. We have to say, God, be the strength of my life. Lord, you tame my tongue. You clean out my mouth. Amen. Amen. It's very, very important. So as Christians, uh, we can be violent in our physical actions, but we can also be pugnacious and violent in our spiritual actions. So we have to make sure uh, that we are seeking to love people and encourage them in Christ. Now, this doesn't mean as Christians that we're not warriors. As Christians, we're called in the same book. Go to 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 12. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 12. And this is a verse I have memorized. You might think that I have a verse like this memorized because our ministry is called Fight the Good Fight Ministries, or short for short, Good Fight Ministries, a ministry I've been involved in for years before this church started. The church started over 30 years ago, so you can imagine how long that ministry is. And it's weird that I still look like I'm like 30 in my own mind, right? You think you are. We're talking, I'm talking to my friends my age, and we think we're young still in our brains. You know, you're talking, and you're talking to somebody who's 25, 30, 35, <laughs> and you just think you're that age. And you look in the mirror and you realize, I'm not that age. You go out and play ball with him, you're like, I'm not that age. I thought I was that age. <laughs> you're not that age, you know? But it's interesting, this verse, but we're so close in proximity to it, I thought it's an easy one to turn to. 1 Timothy 6.12, fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of eternal life to which you were called, and you made a good confession in the presence of many witnesses. So we're called to fight the good fight, Amen. So we're called to be fighters. We're called to be warriors. In fact, he says in 2 Timothy chapter 4 that we're soldiers. We are soldiers, amen, as Christians. We are fighters, but our fight is not physical. It's spiritual, amen? We're called to, as Jude says in chapter 1, verse 3, he talks about how at first he was a right to them about our common salvation. Then he said the Lord had laid upon his heart to encourage them to earnestly contend or fight for the faith which was once for all delivered to the saints paul said i am set for the defense of the gospel but what kind of fight is it it's not a fight with guns catapults swords nuclear weapons in john or john 18:36 jesus says my kingdom he tells pilate that i could call 12 legions of angels to come and deliver me right now he said in chapter 18, verse 36, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom was of this world, then my servants would what? Then my servants would fight. They'd be physically fighting. When, when uh, Peter took his sword out and lopped off Malchus's ear, right? What did Jesus do? Grabbed that, grabbed that ear and stuck it back on his head and healed him. He said to Peter, he that lives by the sword will die by the sword. However, that doesn't negate personal protection. Jesus said, if you don't have a sword, when they were traveling, they are going to go from one place to another, sell your cloak and get a sword. So for personal protection, that's one thing. But to cause a revolution that's physical for Jesus, to try to take over the world and take the seven mountains by some kind of physical force, 
No, we're not called to take seven mountains over. We're called to preach the gospel, amen? That's what we're called to do as Christians. And so we recognize that his kingdom is not of this world. We recognize that it's a spiritual war. Ephesians 6.12 says, for he wrestle not against what? Remember that? We don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against what? Principalities, against the powers, okay? Against the rulers of the darkness of this world. There's darkness in this world, pornography, illicit drugs, all kinds of wickedness, man. But the rulers of the darkness of this world are the spiritual wickedness, he goes on to say, in heavenly places. So what are we supposed to do? We're supposed to put on not physical armor, but spiritual armor. Ephesians 6.10, be strong in the Lord, the power of his might. Verse 11, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. And we also have weapons, but our weapons are not physical in regard to our warfare. 2 Corinthians 10, 4 and 5, Paul said the weapons of our warfare are not physical. As the King James says, they're not carnal, but they're mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, and the casting down of imaginations, every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. So we're in a spiritual war where we, we take down with the power of God's word, which is the sword of the spirit, right? We use his word to take down strongholds that Satan would try to set up in our minds, the minds of our brothers and sisters, the minds of the lost who are, are victims of the father of lies who has put Darwinism in their brains and narcissism and, and all, every other communism, socialism, all these other isms that are so anti-God and anti-Christ. Now, we ultimately need to remember that the battle belongs to who? The battle belongs to the Lord. belongs to the Lord God. Amen. So uh, we have to see those who are opposed to Christ are not those we're trying to kill. They're not so much the enemy. Those are the ones we're seeking to free from the shackles of the evil one. Amen. Because those are who we used to be. Amen. Each of us was in Satan's kingdom, man. Each of us was enslaved to sin. Each of us was deceived by the powers of darkness. Because in Ephesians 2, it says in the past, before we came to Christ, that we're dead in our trespasses and sins. Amen? When we walked, we used to walk according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that's at work in the children of disobedience. That's where we were in the past, man. We used to be walking by Satan's power. And it says that course of this world, I've shared with this before, I think it's just pretty cool, though, is that that word course is used of a weather vane, you know? which just moves according to the wind. And that's how we were, man. Whatever way the world was blowing was the way we were going. And then how it was? Now we go upstream against the current, amen? It's easy to go downstream. I always say dead, dead fish float downstream. Live fish, man, swim upstream. We go against the current. We go against the flow. In the book of Exodus, it says, not, do not run with the crowd to do evil. So yeah, we have a fight on our hands, but it's a spiritual fight. We're called, look at 1 Timothy chapter 3 again now. 1 Timothy chapter 3. Verse 3. Not addicted to wine or pugnacious, but what? But gentle. Peaceable. You guys, the Lord wants you and he wants me to be gentle. He wants us to be peaceable. Now what I trip out on is I know a lot of you before you were Christians. A lot of my brothers and sisters at Blessed Hope. And you weren't, and I wasn't, gentle and peaceable. You were either physically brawling, or you were spiritually, or I should say emotionally, or just whatever, fighting. Uh, you weren't necessarily a peaceable person. You know, maybe you liked to argue, or, you know, didn't like to reconcile with people, or held bitterness, or malice, or unforgiveness toward others. But God calls us to be gentle and peaceable. And I want to look at these two together. Because these go together just like being a drunk and being pugnacious, a brawler go together. Being gentle and peaceable go together. Because if you're a gentle person, there's a lot more likelihood that there'll be peace in your life between you and others. And that's very, very important. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 14 says this, Make every effort to live in peace with everyone and to be holy without holiness. No one will see the Lord. Romans 14, 19. So then let us pursue what leads to peace and to mutual edification. Romans chapter 12, verses 17 through 19. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Carefully consider what is right in the eyes of everybody. If it is possible in your part, live at peace with everyone. Do not avenge yourselves, beloved, but leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, vengeance is mine, our pay, says the Lord. So the point there, man, is that, hey, don't take what belongs to God into your own hands. You're not God, amen? 
And you know what? We don't see things perfectly. We don't understand people's hearts and everything else. And we're not jury, judge, and executioner. Amen? In fact, we're supposed to try to rescue people from being lost. And when I see people that, you know, that a lot of people want to just punch, I feel sorry for the person because that shows you if somebody's like that and they're just mean-spirited to people and what have you, those people are in bad shape spiritually. They're going to hell. If somebody is just wicked in their hearts and, 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 you, know, and you want to return evil for evil because they're doing evil, well, if they're doing evil, they really need your prayers. They're going to hell. So we should feel sorry for them. And we shouldn't be all defensive, but we should recognize that the Lord is our strength. Amen? The Lord is our refuge, uh, that we turn to Him, and that He uses those things in our lives to make us more like Christ. I've told you before, there's nothing... If you want to be more like Christ, man... You pray, Lord, make me more like Jesus. You're going to go through some adversity. And it's not just going to be physical adversity. God uses that to cause you to pray. But a lot of times it's spiritual adversity where you're tempted to return evil for evil, but you're challenged by God to become more like Jesus. Amen? And then when you really hurt the most is when you get on your knees and you cry out to God is when you become like Christ the most. Amen? Because when we see Christ exemplifying who he is the most is when he's on the cross, spit upon, Right? just, you know, back opened up like raw hamburgers, bones sticking out according to Psalm 22, and just maligned, even though he could just wipe everybody out, says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Amen? That's an amazing love, man. That's the agape love. And that's what we're called to be, is more like Christ. And that, that's, that's mind-boggling. But guess what? I can't do that. You're right. You can't do that on your own. You can't live the Christian life on your own. But Jesus said, apart from him, you could do nothing. Amen? But as we always say, Jesus said, the Bible says, Paul said, through Christ we could do what? All things. He has to be Christ within you. You have to crowd to God and say, God, be the strength of my life. Surrender to him. He wants to bless you. He wants to use you. He wants to strengthen you. He wants to live in you so you can become more and more like Christ. And that's the good news. It's not that he's just saying, hey, be this way. He's saying, hey, I'm going to help you, the Father is saying, be like my son. I'm going to empower you by my spirit. All you have to do is look to me, and I'll make you more and more like my son. And that's why we're left here after we get saved. Amen? Because the Bible says that he works all things together for the good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Then verse 29 says, For whom he foreknew, he predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. Amen? So God's goal in your life, what's the will of God for my life? To become like Jesus. To partake of the divine nature. Christ in you. He's the divine one, not us. The hope of glory. Where his communicable attributes, those, those attributes that are his that he communicates to us through the Holy Spirit, we begin to partake of as God lives in us and through us. That only happens as we surrender to Christ. And we say, I need more of you, Jesus, and less of me. And when we're in a situation of conflict, you guys, we're in a time where it's like so hard. You know, you're going through something and you, and you, and you have these base old man, you know, things that want to come out and want to express themselves. You have to keep that old man down, man. You have to reckon that old man dead and say, no, I'm not letting the old man ascend and reign in my life. I'm not letting life-dominating sins dictate my life anymore. I'm now going to respond the way God's called me to respond, and I'm going to put off wrath. I'm going to put off anger. I'm going to put off unforgiveness. I'm going to put on malice. I'm going to put on bowels of compassion. I'm going to put on kindness. I'm going to put on mercy. I'm going to go out of my way to show that person love. And you know what? I'm going to allow the Lord to make me more like Christ. And the more you go through those adverse situations, the more opportunity you have to display that. You say, but I've been going through You don't know how long I've been going through it. Praise God, because that means you've got more and more of an opportunity than the next person to become more like Jesus. And that ought to be the goal in your life. Amen? I'm not saying invite that and say, Lord, bring it all on. I can handle it. No, we can't handle anything in, our, in ourselves. And, amen? But you can say, by the power of your Holy Spirit, Lord, I can overcome. I can be the man or woman that you've called me to be. Amen? And that's the beauty of this, guys. The Bible says a soft answer turns away wrath. Proverbs 16, 24 says, Pleasant words are a honeycomb, sweet to the soul, and healing to the bones. That's why God calls us to be Peaceable calls us to be gentle and peaceable. And our words, man, they are strength to the bones. I gave you, I don't know, it was like maybe a few months back, four months ago or so, five, maybe more, where I gave you all these different studies that talk about when people show kindness and when they show love, all the physiological effects it has on your body. Anybody remember that study? That's a blow mind. 
That, it's a blow mind. It's like, wow. And it shows how true the word of God is. But conversely, if you are an angry person and given over to hatred, unforgiveness, malice, it's very destructive to your body physically. And of course, it's destructive to your spirit. Now, it's important because this is in the context of leadership. And everybody here should be aspiring, at least for the leadership, to be an example in the church, at your home, your place of employment, to show a Christ-like attitude to draw other people to Christ. But in 2 Corinthians 5, it says that God has given you a ministry. He's given us all this ministry. And a lot of times people are like, I wish I knew what my ministry is. So many, and that's a good thing. I mean, every Christian should be, what's my ministry? But I try to tell people, your ministry is staring you in the face. Because the Lord says in 2 Corinthians 5 that God has called us to be, all of us, all Christians, ministers of what? Do you remember that? Ooh, man, you got it. I must quote that a lot. Because I try to remind you, man. Because a lot of Christians, there's been a deception in the church for a long time, over a thousand years, that there's a clergy and the laity. And the clergy, they wear suits or these special garments and they put little you know, clerical collar on and they're different and better than or higher than or more spiritual than everybody else. And, and then the laity, they kind of just listen. And Satan loves that, man. But in the New Testament church, man, we're one in Christ. I don't try to dress different than my brothers and sisters, man. I kind of dress like I did before I got saved, just more modestly, you know? And uh, nicer in the sense of, you know, trying to exemplify Christ. It's wintertime, so i got a flannel on right now. But a clerical collar, you know? I'm sorry. We a lot of ministers, a lot of pastors listen to our live stream. So if you're wearing a clerical collar, I'm not personally offending you, but I challenge you to take that thing off. I love you, though. Okay? But, you know, because guess what? We're all ministers of reconciliation, and Satan wants to hide that from us. We talk about in the church the priesthood of the believer. The Bible says that we, not just the leadership, that we're all a royal priesthood. Amen? Amen. And guess what? That speaks of women, and male and female. In Galatians 3.28, it says there's no distinction. In Christ, it says there's neither male nor female. There's no distinction in regard to our being accepted at the cross, being saved, our humanity, amen, our essence. There's distinction in roles because God has made us distinct as far as carrying out different roles. But we're all accepted at the cross. And in the church, yes, he's given different roles. He's given some Ephesians chapter uh, 4. He's given some apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors, some teachers, or pastor teachers, right? There's deacons, there's elders and what have you. There's uh, various ministries and various... Uh, different gifts, you know, of ministry, prophecy, discernment of spirits, tongues, and so forth. There's all these various gifts, and we all are like, a, it's like a medley that God uses in the church. He gifts the church with different giftings. Here at Blessed Hope, he gifts people in different ways to strengthen us, to build us up. We all ought to be seeking the Lord and saying, Lord, use me to your glory. Amen. But we're all called ministers of reconciliation, and I love that, because the context of being a minister of reconciliation that Paul deals with, is that we're all called to bring the lost to Christ. Amen. We've all been given the Great Commission. Jesus in in Mark chapter 16 says, preach the gospel to every creature. In Matthew chapter 28, you have the Great Commission. All authority in heaven and earth is given unto me, says Jesus in verse 18. Then verse 19 says, go into the world and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything that I've commanded you. And lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. In Luke 24, you have the Great Commission. Again, it's parallel passages, but you put them together, you get this Great Commission. You know? And Jesus says that re- uh, repentance should be taught for the remission of sins. Amen. Going forth, teaching repentance. Making disciples, Matthew 20, 28. We've got this Great Commission, but guess what? We're all called to that, brothers and sisters. I'm excited about this year for Blessed Hope Chapel. Because this year we're focusing a lot of our evangelism efforts on not the uttermost parts of the earth. We recognize that we're on the uttermost parts of the earth, right? In Acts chapter 1-8, Jesus said, that the, preparing them for the day of Pentecost to be witnesses. He, in chapter 1, verse 8 of Acts, he says that the Holy Spirit will come upon you and will give you power. And you'll be my witnesses, both in Judea, right? In Jerusalem and Judea, to the uttermost parts of the earth. Now, Israel's almost on the other side of the world, man. Here we are. We need to be witnesses here, wherever we're at. Amen? 
And God wants to make you, he's called you a minister of reconciliation. That means he is understanding, he's trying to get you to understand that you are a minister. I've used the analogy before. If there's a car accident, someone's hurting, maybe even dying, and they say, hey, is there a minister around? You don't look for someone with a clerical collar. You say, oh, right here. You're a minister? Yeah, I'm a minister. Oh, can you pray for this person? Yeah. I'm going to tell the person about Jesus, too, before they slip away into eternity. But as I pray, or whatever, you are a minister. Amen? And you know what the church is given for? Right after he says he gave some apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers, it says, for the work of the ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ, that we all might attain to the unity of the faith, that we no longer be too, like children tossed to and fro by every wind of false doctrine, but we'd be built up in the faith together, and that we'd be equipped, it says, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers, that they would equip us for the work of the ministry. So one reason we come to Blessed Hope Chapel is to be encouraged, to be warned, to be edified, to be taught, but to be, but to be encouraged as ministers and equipped for the work of the ministry. I'm excited about the home group that we have at my house coming up because we're going to do a lot of stuff on, we're going to be witnessing to Simi Valley. As elders, we've been talking about how we're going to do it in various ways, and we're developing what specifically what we're going to do. One thing we're going to do is get a mass mail out to every house in Simi that we can get it to, invite them to our resurrection services. But we know most people will never darken the hallway before a at a church, so we're going to have a witness on that thing. So everybody, because, man, we've done the door-to-door off and on through the years, but, you know, it's, uh, uh, we've reached people that way. It's great, man, but we want to get a mailer in everybody's hands, and they see the gospel, you know, right there. You know, but there's various things we want to do this year. But we're also going to get out, man. We're also going to get out and maybe pound some uh, uh, pound. That doesn't sound good when I'm talking about not being a brawler. But uh, knock on some doors, you know, <laughs> and what have you. But we'll have a good time, you know. But we'll have, talk about evangelism, how to do it. And we'll have some messages in the service as well, Sunday and Wednesday, building us up, encouraging us how to evangelize better and more effectively. Amen. But one of the things we need to keep in mind is that we're ministers of reconciliation. And that means we'd only bring... And what does it mean to be reconciled? It means to bring two opposing parties together as one. Who's the ultimate reconciler? God. Amen? He's being crucified, but he's using the very wicked things they're doing to him to save them. He's dying on the cross for them. In 2 Corinthians, it says, God was in Christ Jesus, not holding the world's trespasses against them, but reconciling them to himself. Wow. That's a blow mind, amen? So he gives us an example. So we're not brawlers going out trying to beat everybody up, forcing them in the kingdom. That's wicked. That is wicked. We are trying to lead people to Christ, and that's so important. Go to 2 Timothy, since we're first Timothy. Look at how he talks about gentleness in regard to being in ministry. 2 Timothy chapter 2. He talks about these false teachers in chapter 2. Hymenaeus and Philetus in chapter, verse 17, how they're teaching that the resurrection had already come to pass. That's called full preterism. That's a serious heresy today. Look at what it says. Verse 16, but avoid worldly and empty chatter, for it will lead for, to further ungodliness. This is 2 Timothy chapter 2. But avoid worldly and empty chatter, for it will lead to further ungodliness. And their talk will spread like gangrene. Some translations have it, cancer. Okay, even my, in my little margin here, it says, or cancer. Among them are Hymenaeus, Humaneos in the Greek, and Philetus, men who have gone astray from the truth, saying that the resurrection has what? Already taken place. And they upset the faith of some. Some people's faith is being overcome. They're destroying the faith of other believers. And their false teaching will spread like cancer. What are they teaching? The resurrection has already come to pass. And did you know today there are countless thousands of people who teach that heresy, that Christ already came back, the Antichrist was already defeated, that we're in the new heaven and the new earth, there's no more tears anymore, and the lion is laying down with the wolf and the lamb, and, they're all, and you know, we're in the new heaven and new earth. It's just a denial of reality, obviously, and it's spreading throughout the church because people don't want to face the great tribulation period. They want to believe it's already come to pass. Or that we're going to be taken before it happens. And this doctrine that the resurrection has already come to pass is called full preterism. Preterism is from a Latin word that means past. 
or what has gone by. It's a heresy. It's outside the pale of Christian orthodoxy. You can't be a Christian and deny the resurrection. Just read 1 Corinthians 15. If you deny the resurrection, it says that our faith is in vain. Our our faith is connected to hope, and you don't have hope. But guess what? How are we supposed to treat these people? Should we go and punch them out, burn down their churches and all that? No. You love them. You pray for them. And look what Paul says in verse 24. The Lord's bondservant must not be what? Quarrelsome, but be kind to all, able to teach, patient when wronged. With, with what? Verse 25, with what? With gentleness, correcting those who are in opposition, if perhaps God may grant them repentance, leading to the knowledge of the truth. Verse 26, and they may come to what? Their senses and escape from the snare of the devil, having been held captive by him to do his will. Now, Paul doesn't hold anything back as far as truth goes. He says these guys are under the power of Satan. He says their doctrines are a cancer. He says they're overthrowing the faith of some. But he says when you engage them, you need to be gentle and loving. Now, throughout church history, there are examples of the very opposite. In fact, Augustine who's considered by many the father of the Roman Catholic Church, theologically speaking. He's called a saint. He's been canonized as a saint in the Roman Catholic Church. He twisted Jesus' words, and he went after professing Christians who disagreed and did not want to be associated with what was called the Catholic Church at that time in the 4th century. And uh, actually, we're talking about uh, latter part of the early part of the 5th century. And Augustine took Jesus' words where Jesus said to compel people to come in. He said, what Jesus really means there, and I'll give him this, he didn't really know Greek, so uh, he twisted the word compel. He spoke Latin. And he said the word compel means to tell them to come back to Donatists because the Donatists left the Roman Catholic Church because the Roman Catholic Church, they were, they were putting all kinds of people in ministry who were involved in adultery and all kinds of wicked acts and were taking positions for, so they could just make money off the people. And the Donatists separated them from the other Catholics, said, no, we're not going to be, those baptisms don't count if wicked people are baptizing people. And there was a separation. And then Augustine said, you know what you need to do? Compel them to come in, Jesus said. Remember when Jesus said, go to the highways and byways and compel people to come to the feast? He says, he means compel them with your mouth. But then what Jesus also means, if they don't listen to you telling them to come back, then you can use the sword and kill them. Did anybody, have you ever read that and get that from what Jesus said? Yes or no? Absolutely not. Does that square with what Paul's saying here with people that are heretical? If you believe they're heretical? How does Paul say this? He say, what Jesus, does Paul exegete what Jesus said back there and says, go and kill these guys? No. He says, with gentleness, with gentleness correcting those who are in opposition, if perhaps God may grant them repentance, leading to the knowledge of the truth. We should be praying for people, amen? Your heart should be breaking for people that are lost. Oh, you have to warn about the seriousness of their false teaching, and Paul does that right here, and we do that from this pulpit, amen? Because you don't want to be a wimpy Christian either and just say, oh, kumbaya, we're all one, let's all get together, it doesn't matter what you believe. That's not what Paul's saying. Ha, Paul's saying it's, they're under Satan's power. It's a cancer. And it's upsetting the faith of some. And it needs to be corrected. And go and correct these guys. But do it with what? Do it in love, man. Do it with gentleness. Amen? And I've seen, by the way, I've seen that doctrine destroy an entire family. No kidding. And some of you know that story. It breaks my heart. So it's very, very important that we get this. John Calvin, the father of, the, the, of Calvinism, of course, his namesake, right? Uh, there is in Geneva, uh, there was a guy that he really didn't like named Servetus. And Servetus was uh, just like him they, in the sense that they both came out of Roman Catholicism. In fact, if you look up Servetus in Wikipedia, you'll see how he was, he's credited for the guy that discovered uh, the circulation within the human body and so forth. Uh, and he was off in areas, some very serious areas. In fact, if he was in this fellowship and he was teaching his belief in Christ as, as less than you know, God Almighty, we would lovingly talk to him and disagree with him and say, hey, you can't be here if you're going to push that doctrine. 
although he disagreed with Calvin on some areas where Calvin was wrong. Calvin taught baby baptism. And he taught infant baptism, and Servetus said that's unbiblical. You have to baptize people as disciples. And Calvin sent him his institutes, which Calvin wrote when he was only 27 years old as a law student, you know. And uh, he came out of law school, not, you know, seminary or theological school. And, and Sir Calvin's institutes were influenced a lot of people. And Servetus wrote, wrote in the margins corrections against infant baptism and where he disagreed with Calvin and sent it back to Calvin. Calvin said, if Servetus ever comes to Geneva and steps foot in my church, he will not leave here alive. Yeah. Servetus came, stepped foot in the church, and sat there. And Calvin had his assistant bring charges against him and arrest him. He was arrested, and then uh, he was on trial, and they burned him at the stake. They killed him, just burned him. He roasted him. And uh, Calvin actually mocked his screams at the stake. And, and Calvin says later, well, I tried to get them to kill him under a civil trial and just cut his head off. There's no record that he actually tried that. He said that later. Maybe he did, but either way, he wanted him dead. He said he's the one that initiated He will not leave alive, you know. That is not Christian. In fact, Calvin, I would love to say that later on he repented. He realized what he did was so evil. And he said, wow, I, I saw what Paul said. I should be gentle with those who oppose me. But he didn't. He defended it to his death, and he said he'd do it all over again. And my Bible says in 1 John, no murderer has eternal life in them. So I'm sorry, I have to be true to the scripture. I have to say, man, because somebody is quoted over and over again, like Augustine or Calvin, but they're for murdering people that are heretical, I can't give them pass. Well, you have to understand the times. You hear that, really. So, you know, in Sodom and Gomorrah, it's okay to be a homosexual if the world becomes like Sodom and Gomorrah again because you have to understand the times? No. In fact, guess what? In Geneva and in, in Europe at that time, most Christians were against killing so-called heretics. That's what's interesting about this whole thing. And uh, Calvin, I can show you in his own writings, where he wrote against the Roman Catholic Church and said it's wrong to kill heretics. But then guess what? When he had some power, it was okay. Now, what if it was okay to kill Jehovah's Witnesses? Would that be okay for us to burn them at the stake or cut their heads off? No. Okay, I don't even, you know, you might feel like it sometimes, but I feel it's even wrong to turn your hose on them in the yard, okay? Even that I think is wrong, okay? Because that's not showing love, that's not being gentle, that's not going to win them. That's not, you know, it's a hot day maybe, and they want it, okay? But, you know, that's not going to win them to Christ, amen? So we have to make sure that we're careful not to exonerate the wicked because then it shows our own hearts, okay? We need to make sure that we understand the love of Christ is not in those who seek the death and the murder of... It's totally contrary to Scripture. Amen? We're supposed to be gentle. Even to heretics with gentleness, correcting those who are in opposition. If perhaps God may grant them repentance, leading to the knowledge of the truth. I mean, can you imagine if they would have killed the Apostle Paul? That's Paul. He's been having Christians killed. Let's ambush him. Let's destroy him because... And guess what? The Apostle Paul, Saul, would never come, become the Apostle Paul and read half the New Testament. We don't know what God has planned for a soul. Amen? How many of us took a while to bring to Christ? Thank God he was patient with us. Amen? Amen. Now, we need to make sure we're patient. Galatians chapter 6. Let's go there. Galatians chapter 6. And make sure we show love. We show we're peace, peaceful. We show gentle. You know, actually, go to Galatians chapter 5. Because in Galatians 5, I think it's really beautiful, Paul shows us that gentleness and peace are a fruit of the Holy Spirit. Verse 22, but the fruit of the Spirit is what? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness. Verse 23, gentleness, self-control against things that, such things there is no law. Verse 24, now those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. So the fruit of the Spirit is there's gentleness and there's peace. And by the way, those are, the, the, what's the very first? No, it's not fruits, plural. It's fruit singular. And what's the first thing on the list? Love, guys. And all these other things come out of love. If we're walking in love, we're going to be peaceful to others. We're going to be gentle to others. We're going to have self-control because we're going to be walking in love. That's the major attribute we want to grow in. Love God with your whole heart, soul, strength, and mind. Love your neighbors yourself. These are the two greatest commandments, right? 
but if you're going to restore someone, because leaders, and not just leaders, but all of us as Christians are called to restore people because we're all ministers of reconciliation. That means God's given you a ministry to the lost to bring them to Christ. He's given you a ministry to your brothers and sisters who may lapse in their faith, who may backslide, who may commit apostasy to win them back if you can. Just like what Paul was saying in Galatians, I'm sorry, in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 24 through 26. Now go to Galatians chapter 6, the first couple verses, and look what Paul says. Brethren, brethren, notice he doesn't say pastors here. Notice he doesn't say elders here. Notice he doesn't say deacons here. Notice he doesn't say Sunday school teachers. He says brethren, that's to all of us. Brethren, even if any is caught in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a what? Spirit of what? Spirit of gentleness. Each one looking to yourself so that you too will not be tempted. That's very, very, very important, guys. Because we're supposed to be gentle for those who are caught in a trespass or caught in a sin. The word caught right there is katartizo, and it means to be, uh, it, it's used of being trapped, it's used of being imprisoned, it's used of being caught, and we need to restore them, okay? I'm sorry, the word, the word caught, I'm sorry, in the Greek means everything I just said it means, but the Greek word that I really want to talk about here, restore, that's the word that's uh, katartizo, the word to restore, and that's used in a lot of different ways in scripture. It's used of of, and it's used outside of Scripture as well, of setting the bone, for instance, restoring someone's arm that's broken or leg, cartatizo. It's used of getting someone off, off that's on the wrong path onto the right path and restoring them to the right path. It's used of restoring two opposing parties that are against each other, cartatizo, of bringing them together and reconciling them. It's used in the Bible of mending nets, broken nets, Nets that are broken and tying them for fishing. And we're called to be fishers of men. Amen? Amen. And Cartatizo is used of mending nets. It talks about the disciples. When Jesus comes upon them, they're mending their nets. And they're where Cartatizo is used. I love that, man. Because when we restore each other, we make the church, which is we're fishers of men, stronger. Amen? We become greater as the army of God. We're supposed to do it with gentleness. Because we're called fishers of men. But we don't fish and cook, do we? We catch and release. Amen? We do catch and release. Now, I never got the catch and release. My brothers, I never got it. I love my brothers, but they, they'll, they'll, one of my best friends, Joe Pierre, will go all the way to Bishop from here when he's out here. And then he'll, he'll, he'll catch fish and he'll release them and come all the way back because he doesn't really like to eat fish much. Although I made him some catfish he really liked, and he does like raw fish, sushi. So he, does, he loves fish. But uh, I've always said, Joe, man, that trips me out. Man. You'll just wake up early in the morning go all the way to Bishop. How far is Bishop away? A long way away, man. He'll catch a bunch of fish, and he'll come back. And, and, uh, but then guess what? I'm the same way. I'll go hunting. If I don't catch anything, shoot anything, I'll do it again. I think I did it four or five times before I finally got something. But guess what? I know in my mind I'm going to bring it back, though, if I catch it, you know? So it's kind of a trip. So I'm like, but you know what? When you catch and release, it's different than when you catch and kill and eat. Because when you catch and kill and eat, you don't, it doesn't matter how much you squeeze that fish and how you yank out and get that, that hook out because you're going to hit that thing's head against the, the, the rock and kill it, or, oh, that's so mean. Well, better than a slow death, you're going to eat it, you know? When you catch and release, you're trying to be gentle with the fish, just enough pressure so it doesn't get out, and gently get that hook out if you're a nice guy, which you ought to be if you're going to release it, right, and let it go. Well, guess what? When we're restoring some, when we catch people for Jesus, and we set them free in God's kingdom where he sets them free through us, amen, as we bring the gospel message to them, and Jesus sets them free through the message of the gospel and through the power of his spirit, but we do it gently, amen? We love them through it. We, we minister to them and encourage them. So it's very, very important that we restore, we katatizo with gentleness. So if someone, someone's backslidden, they fall away, they get to, the idea of getting caught there or trapped is somebody who gets involved, they're walking with Jesus, all of a sudden they're not in fellowship and they're in a life-dominating sin. They're, 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 they're addicted again to drugs or to sexual perversion or to whatever they're addicted, whatever they get involved in. You and I, man, we need to go after them. We need to pray for them. We need to encourage them. I'm not talking about if someone's like, well, you know what, uh, 
Man, the service at Blessed Hope is just too, it's just too long. And, you know, the, the messages, man, it's like too challenging. And I get convicted. And I, I want this over here. But they're not walking in sin. I'm not saying go after them. Hey, you've got to be back at Blessed Hope. I don't chase people down. If they want another fellowship, I pray, Lord, bless them. I hope, you know, their heart and everything's right with you. But bless them. And maybe they've led them over there for some. I don't know. But if someone's in sin and in rebellion to God, we need to go after them. Amen. And does it say pastors here? Elders, deacons? No, it says who? Verse 1 is brethren, all of us. This is all of our job. And pastor, elders, they can't see everything that's going on because we're not with everybody, but we all do this together. Amen? And we need to do it gently. So if you find out, man, this person hasn't been in fellowship for a couple weeks, and then you realize they are in sin. You don't go up to them and say, you dummy, you get everything you deserve, man. I hope you rot in hell. I can't believe I haven't seen you for three weeks. That's not gentleness. Okay? Amen? That's not love. That's probably not going to bring them back to Jesus. Amen? Or the church. <laughs> Especially if it's a pastor, right? right? Yeah, you're right. Yeah, I agree. Amen. So, but it's like you were, you were trying to restore them. You know, if you have a, a truck, and it's an old, old truck, and it's got, you know, whole, little holes in it, and the paint's off, and it's so rusted, and everything else, you sand that out, man, and you get the Bondo, and you put new paint on it, it's restored, and it looks like new. Amen? Or an old piece of furniture, same thing, you know. You restore an old piece of furniture and you sand it down and, and, and varnish it or whatever you do with furniture. I've done that with a lot of furniture. And you make it look new. That's a, it could look like new or at least really good again. Well, guess what? The Lord wants to do that with us. He wants to restore us when we're fallen, amen. And he wants to use us as brothers and sisters to lovingly sand each other, to lovingly encourage each other, to cartatizo, uh, to mend those nets so we can uh, be fishers of men. Now, it's interesting uh, when we look at this text, it says, Galatians chapter 6 says, Brethren, even if anyone is caught in any trespass, the word caught, here's the Greek word for, for caught that I was mentioning earlier. It's prolambano. I like that Greek word. Prolambano. It means to be caught, trapped, overtaken, enslaved, imprisoned. And notice we're dealing with sin here. They're caught in a sin. This is serious. Sin is destructive to the soul. And look at Galatians 5. You'll say, well, what kind of sin might Paul be talking about? Well, just back up a few verses. Chapter 5, verse 19 says, Now the deeds of the flesh are evident, which are immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envying, drunkenness, carousing, which means partying, and things like these, of which I forewarn you, just as I have forewarned you that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. That's serious. And notice right here, it's not just drunkenness, right? It's just not sexual perversion. It's people that maybe they're filled with jealousy for someone or something. Maybe they're filled with bitterness, quarreling, or what have you, factions. Uh, maybe they're filled with anger. And it's like, oh, well, at least, you know, at least they're not a drunk anymore. At least they're not doing, you know, meth anymore. They're just full of anger. No, that's on the same list of those who won't inherit God's kingdom. Amen? Because they refuse to be reconciled and forgive others. They get filled with anger, and maybe they won't come back to fellowship. They don't want to be around Christians because they're just angry. They need Jesus, man. They need to be forgiven, and we need to gently love them back, man. We need to encourage them and say, hey, I love you. You know what? We, we need to minister to them and recognize how serious this is. But you know what? We need to do it gently, but guess what we also need to make sure we do? We need to make sure we also don't minimize the sin and act like it's no big deal. We need to let them know that sin is deadly. This is very, very, very serious. You know why, how, how serious this is? It's serious because if we minimize it and act like it's no big deal, you could do, there's two extremes. This is what believers do. They fall in one of two extremes. Do not let yourself fall in either of these extremes when you're trying to rescue a brother or sister that's fallen. And the name of this message is called Restoring the Fallen. One extreme is to be harsh. Look what Paul says in chapter 6, verse 1. Each one of you, at the end of verse, the second part of the verse, B. Each one of you looking to yourself so you too will not be what? Tempted. Now sometimes we think so you won't be tempted by the same exact sin. But Paul doesn't say that. It could be the same exact sin. It could be any kind of temptation. It would be a temptation to be harsh and be proud and arrogant. Like, you're better than them. Don't do that, because you could fall too. Or it could be a temptation to go too easy on sin and not call sin, sin. 
well, I understand what you're going through, being gentle, trying to sympathize. Man, I have a hard time with that girl too. And before you know it, yeah, I see why you hate her. Yeah, yeah. I'm not going back there either. She's there. All of a sudden, you're caught up in the same thing. You know, you got to be very, very careful. Okay? Or you'd be a totally different sin that Satan gets you with that's why your weakness because you are not keeping your eyes on the cross and your need for Jesus. Or it could be not being, it could be being too gentle and not calling sin, sin. What do I mean by that? In the church of Corinth, there's a guy, remember that guy that was having sex with his father's wife? Having sex with his mom? Look what it says in 1 Corinthians, I have to look, but listen, at least, 1 Corinthians 5, 11 through 13. But actually, I wrote to you not to associate with any so-called brother if he has an immoral person. Not to what? Associate with an, a so-called brother if he is an immoral person, or covetous, he's a thief, or he's an idolater, he puts money before God or things before God, or a violer, he's a brawler, or a drunkard, or a swindler, or even, uh, not to even eat with such a one. Don't even eat with him. For what have I to do with judging outsiders? <laughs> this is, he says, do you not judge those who are within the church? But those who are outside the church remove the wicked. But those who are outside, God judges. But inside the church, those who claim to be Christians, we can't remove the wicked, the terrors. That's up to God in the end, right? But those who are in the church that practice wickedness, he says, remove the wicked man from among yourselves. Now, this is interesting because Paul is stating very clearly here that we are not to associate with professing believers who are walking in rebellion to God. Well, I just, I just want to love that person and still hang out with them, even though they are, are, are not following the Lord and they don't want anything to do with God right now because I know better than God. Really? Nobody would actually say that, but that's what you're acting like if God says not to associate with the backslider who refuses to repent. You're saying God doesn't know what he's talking about, really. I know better in this situation. Ooh, that's dangerous because you can be tempted now when you put yourself above God's word because listen to what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 5, the same chapter, verse 5 and 6 and verse 9. I have decided to deliver such a one to Satan for the destruction of his flesh so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. Jesus, your boasting is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump of dough? I wrote to you in my letter, do not associate with immoral people. And he's talking about those in the church. So a wicked man refuses to repent. You go and hang out and act like everything is okay and he's in rebellion. God's saying, hey, you're, you're, you're not helping the guy. In fact, you're hurting three different things. You're hurting the church because if you're trying to make it look like he could be in church while he's in rebellion to God, you're leavening the whole church. You're hurting yourself because now you're going against God's word. And now you're going to invite judgment. And you're hurting the person that you're patting on the back while they're in rebellion to God if you're not confronting them. If you're saying, no, no, I'm getting together with that brother or sister to let them know I love them and they need to return to the Lord. Okay, well, praise God. That's good if you're doing that. I'm not talking about that. But if you're like not going to bring up the drunkenness, you're not going to bring up the evil heart, you're not going to bring up the rebellion, you're not going to bring up the drug addiction, and you're going to act like the person is okay and they're going to heaven and everything, well, guess what? You're not really a friend to that brother or sister. You have become their enemy. Because guess what? That person's already deceived, perhaps. Because Galatians, he goes on to say, Paul says, in verse 7 of chapter 6, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. He that sows to the flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But he that sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap what? Eternal life. And we shall reap if we do not grow weary in well-doing. So guess what? People are deceived, thinking they can sow to the flesh and still reap eternal life. And guess what? If that brother believes that he's somehow going to make it, and you bolster that belief because you hang out with him, and you treat him like a brother, even though he's in rebellion to God, you become part of the problem, and you become used by Satan to encourage that guy through the broad road to destruction. Because guess what? If you're going the wrong way, your GPS barks in there and says, hey. And thank God they program, they program the GPS, Lady Siri, or whoever it is, to be kind of, her voice is at least tolerable and nice right? And she doesn't seem to have an attitude. Can you imagine? She said, turn around, you jerk. And she got upset with you. You'd be like, wait a minute, man. Well, guess what? You want to be gentle, but guess what? That Siri or whatever you're using, if she doesn't correct you when you're going the wrong direction, right? And you're heading into a bad, bad neighborhood and you just keep going because she's like, you know, I don't think she usually gives you a pat on the back when you're doing good, but if she was, that would be kind of messed up if you end up in the wrong place, right? Well, guess what? We have GPS, spiritual GPS, not global positioning system, but we have God's positioning system, and it's accurate all the time, not like Siri, which is sometimes off. God's word is without fail, amen? 
But if we claim to represent God in his word, we claim to be Christians, and we're hanging out with someone who's on the path to destruction, and we act like they're still a brother or sister in Christ, and they're headed to destruction, we become an agent of Satan because we're patting them on the back and not really loving them. The Bible says, faithful are the wounds of a friend, but deceitful are the kisses of an enemy. Amen? How dare we pretend to be a friend when we refuse to warn a brother? And why would we refuse to warn a brother? Because we value their friendship more than we value their walk with God? Or something we might get from them? No. You have to stand up and speak the truth if you really love someone. Encourage them and call them to repentance. Amen? I've got to be real with my brothers and sisters. I love you guys, man. Being in ministry is tough, but we're ministers of reconciliation. We have to love the people enough that are off to warn them. Amen? But if you continue to get with somebody when they're rebelling to God, you're not praying for them and encouraging them to get right with God, but you're just hanging out now before long. The Bible says if you hang out with an angry person, you'll become angry like them. You can start to take on their sin. This is serious, serious stuff. I love you guys. I just got to speak truth in love, man. We want to be gentle. We want to speak the truth. We want to love them. Looks like I skipped four pages of notes, but I made sure I had them in my head, so I went through them anyway, pretty much. Love you guys, you know. We just, we're, we're hospital too, amen? And all of us struggle. All of us get attacked. All of us uh, struggle with, with the flesh, and we have to keep the flesh down so the old man doesn't gain ascendancy in our lives and so forth. But if we're walking in rebellion to God, we need to repent and get right. And I encourage you, in a gentle way, I love you guys. If you're involved in some kind of rebellion against God, Ask God for, just hate it, man. Hate sin. Turn from it. Realize what Jesus did for you. Realize what he went through for you. Realize that he can give you the power and he will. Ask and you shall receive. Seek and you shall find. Knock and the door shall be open to you. I did ask way back. No, Jesus, the word ask is in the present tense. Ask and keep asking. Seek and keep seeking. Knock and keep knocking. Amen. Keep asking God for strength to overcome sin. If you're not fighting against sin, you're just giving into rebellion. That's a problem. You got to repent, you know. He loves you and he'll give you the strength. And the Bible says God is not partial, amen. It's not like, oh, I'm going to help that person, but I don't want anything to do with that person because they have too many freckles. That's not how God is. Oh, I like that guy because his eyes are brown, but not that guy because his eyes are green. That's not how God operates, man. There's no partiality with God, amen. I love it in the last days, man, when the, when the kingdom comes and the ultimate, when Jesus returns, there'll be people, it says, that are saved from every kingdom, nation, People and tongue. I love that, man. Every dialect that we people saved from them. God wins in the end. Amen? Amen? But what a beautiful thing is that we get to be part of that ministry of reconciliation. Amen? But let's not just think of the lost out on the streets who've never received Christ, but let's think of them and pray that God gives you a heart that beats with his heart so we reach them for Christ. Amen? But also, let's also not let people fall through the cracks because you can't leave it up to one, two, or ten men or women. All of us need to work together as a church, amen? Strengthen each other, encourage each other. And guess what? Walk with Jesus. Don't commit apostasy. Be part of the solution, not part of the problem, amen? That way we have more forces of light working against the forces of darkness so we can have more of an impact in the world and on the church, amen? Keep serving Jesus, amen? Can we all please stand with a closing prayer?